0: You're listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and today I interview Rebecca Taylor on coaching around compassion fatigue. Are you curious about what compassion fatigue is, the signs of compassion fatigue, and how to coach people who have compassion fatigue? We're going to answer these questions in today's interview with Rebecca Taylor. She's a vet nurse with 15 years experience working as a vet nurse in vet clinics and animal shelters and a recent graduate of Wellness Coaching Australia's Professional Certificate Program. She's transitioning from her career in vet nursing into health and wellness coaching in the same industry and she talks a bit about her journey today, how she got started and how she's going right now. Stay tuned for an amazing interview with Rebecca. Here we go. I'm so excited to introduce Rebecca Taylor today, who's a vet nurse and a graduate of Wellness Coaching Australia's Professional Certificate Program and who is starting a business as a compassion fatigue coach. Welcome, Beck. Thanks
1: for being here today. Thanks, Mel. Most people call me Coach Beck nowadays, but yeah, um, uh, absolutely. I'm a veterinary nurse and, and then went into health and wellness coaching. What got you into that? How did you get started? Well, um, actually, during COVID, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And the only connection we found for why I formed that was stress in, in induced fibromyalgia. So just so wow. much stress on my body. And um, I knew that I came from a really high stress um, industry. So that was a really big component of why I went into health and wellness coaching. I couldn't go back into vet nursing. I knew that was way too much pressure on my body and mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, how can I still make an impact in that industry?
0: And so tell us more about that. What what came to your mind when you thought about making an impact when you first started studying health and wellness coaching?
1: So I knew that burnout and compassion fatigue were two major components of the veterinary industry, and mental health is a really big focus. Um, the Australian Veterinary Association is really putting a lot of power behind working out why. Um, there is these mental health problems in the veterinary industry, mm-hmm. and I had been through compassion fatigue myself. Um, and I thought, well, definitely that is a massive component of of why mental health is there is because we are extremely compassionate people, putting yeah. a lot of energy into the industry because we love it, mm-hmm. and and then we hit we hit that wall of compassion fatigue, which mm-hmm. can then lead to burnout. Yeah I'm
0: wondering also if there's an element of vicarious trauma in the in those Absolutely. roles.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you're working in um the animal welfare side of the vet industry, I'm not saying that every anyone can be exposed to that. Yeah. Absolutely, but then there's also a second component of animal welfare workers that are really exposed to that.
0: Yeah, okay. And so you decided to go for the compassion
1: fatigue side of things i did because i think it's we i think we look at burnout a lot of the time and we're like we're in burnout but are we in burnout or are we in compassion fatigue um and i think yeah that's a huge component of having that understanding of what compassion fatigue is
0: so before we go there i mean i'm curious now what's the difference between compassion fatigue and burnout i mean i've been through burnout and i understand what that's like, but I'm curious how you would distinguish the two.
1: Yeah, well, compassion fatigue is really that deep empathy or compassion is that deep empathy um, into a person suffering. So when you're having that constant empathy and and you're around that all the time with um, euthanasias and, and trauma to a patient that's happened and you're having to go into surgeries, you have a real compassion not only with the owner but then also with the animal as well. And it just builds up. And it's not something that just, you know, builds up, builds up, builds up, break down. you go over it. It kind of builds up and it hits you and then you kind of can build a wall and then you can keep going a little bit and then it hits you again. But you slowly start to become, um, you slowly start to, you know, stop socializing just don't have that time and energy in your body and your brain to be around people Mm -hmm. to have those conversations you start disconnecting um disconnection is a really big component of compassion fatigue um lack of energy lack of sleep you start to feel a lot of guilt towards things Mm -hmm. like am I doing this right am I being at my best um yeah so that's Mm -hmm. I think a really big component of compassion fatigue is that guilt that you build up in around the workplace.
0: Right, so I'm hearing that compassion fatigue is something that can lead to burnout but is distinct from it in that it's it's a different kettle of fish in a way. Burnout yeah. is we've you've done too much of something and you've reached a tipping point almost.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I guess you can lead into that because if you're in a really high stress workplace that you've got a lot of responsibility and you've got time frames and you've got to get things done, and then you're emotionally exhausted mm-hmm. for two connect. And then yeah. you're yes. Okay. Wow.
0: <laughs> sounds sounds like something worth nipping in the bud for sure. Absolutely. You talked about i guess some of the signs of compassion fatigue guilt and and this mental exhaustion what what other things are signs of compassion fatigue like if someone came up to you and said oh i'm feeling this and this and this would that what would it be that would indicate to you that they're going through that
1: yeah i guess um uh, there's also a lot of um like you can get irritated very easily so your emotions aren't as controlled as well um so yeah you're heightened in that way so a person could be extremely calm but you might notice in the workplace that they are easily agitated or reactive right. um and you know that social interaction they might generally go to you know basketball every week to play with their team and they stop doing that you know they pull right back out of social connection um right because they can't handle
0: that yeah so irritability and pulling away socially are the other things that come up yeah absolutely yeah sounds a little bit like depression that some of those early warning signs of depression are that stopping doing the things that you used to love and pulling away from people too like there's some parallels (laughs) there
1: yeah, I think in a lot of mental health areas or there are a lot of connections with feelings and that's why it can be a bit foggy between them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're definitely in that caring role and that compassionate role, you you are a higher risk of compassion fatigue. Yeah. Um, and definitely they can lead to depression if not treated.
0: Wow, okay. And so thinking about that and that you've just gone through a process of developing and launching your business I'm curious to see what's happening with that now and firstly how you've pitched or positioned your offering
1: yeah so initially I was going into the veterinary clinic specific um and I was talking to them and the response was very we're in burnout or we've been in burnout we just don't have time to take care of ourselves you know it was a really big mm-hmm. so um I softened my approach a little bit on how I came to them and so initially I'd do an email just explaining who I was and what I was doing mm-hmm. um and my past and previous experience and what is coaching mm-hmm. and then I'd actually do a phone call and and have a conversation with them on the phone around what their clinical needs are in around compassion fatigue the understanding of compassion fatigue and and where their staff are at right um, and then I'd go in and have a meeting with them and and have a personal chat one to one so yeah. um it's it's very overwhelming i think when you' when people in this industry are trying to talk about this stuff so yeah. um and they just don't they don't have the energy for it so I had to really soften that approach on how I came to them about it
0: right so it was an email and a phone conversation and a, then a going in in person and it sounds like the phone conversation was a lot of people get on the phone and start trying to explain themselves but it sounds like you're really going what what's going on in your practice how is yeah it showing so
1: not just focusing on the one person absolutely focusing on hey it's a team that makes you know this practice run what's going on with the individual staff you know um, have you found anything that's triggering this is there ways that you're developing to deal with it in the clinic and then that actually led me to go to animal welfare shelters as well so I worked in an animal welfare shelter for eight or just over eight years. And um, so I actually approached an animal welfare shelter and that's when I said to them, I want to actually develop a full program that comes to the team and sees people individually, but then also does initial workshops um, as a team as well to bring it together. Wow. Now,
0: I I know that that's incredible and I know that people listening to this are going to say how do you even get in the door with an email how do you not get rejected so I'm curious about if you send out 10 emails to 10 vet clinics or animal shelters or whatever how many of those would respond
1: you're not going to get everyone responding and that is you know you know that um because it is still such a new area being um identified in the industry but we do know that there is that issue and the staff are really becoming proactive in it especially with the Australian Veterinary Association backing this mm-hmm. um right. and saying we've done a survey we see that there is a really big problem here we know that one in four vets are um uh you know looking at possibly um taking their lives so it's it's huge at the moment. So when I think they see these emails coming in, they do feel like responding to them. Um, But then that follow up phone call is definitely important. But I would say if I did 10 emails, possibly three would respond. Mm. And at the moment, I'm really happy with that, because at least there is a response there and people are, you know, Mm. connecting with that.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Beck. because firstly, you've talked about the fact that it's a new industry but there are some strong drivers being led from the top down from the association level but also the fact that not everyone's ready to tackle it yet and you know you're starting with the people who are potentially the early adopters who are going to be perhaps leading the way in this they're perhaps going to be more committed to doing work going forward and setting the benchmark almost by the sound of things
1: yeah yeah and it's you're not going to get a response from everyone exactly that because they aren't ready to take it on they, they do know that something's going on but they're not ready for that change yeah. and we know until someone's ready for that change they're not going to be able to accept support and help yeah. so that's why I think the workshops are really fantastic not just the one-to-one coaching because um, I make them interactive um, they get their own worksheets, and then they get they get information as well as responding together as a team, bringing that awareness and that support together, and then from there going into the the one to one coaching and support for those staff that are ready to take that on.
0: Amazing, and I'm hearing you're using the coaching approach through the whole marketing of this and the delivery.
1: Absolutely. I want the the workshops to be as interactive as possible because I think that's a really key important part for us to talk, start talking about it, you know, start saying, this is what we're going through or we've been through. This is what's worked in the past, but I'm actually not even utilizing that at the moment. So how about I start finding ways of resetting that habit and putting it back into my life. So um, yeah, getting that key balance. And I'm using a bit of a cheeky approach as well, Mel. So as a vet nurse, I know that, and Uh, animal care workers. I know that we um, really advocate for animal um, environmental enrichment Mm -hmm. and so I'm making up little signs of what we would suggest to an owner to -hmm. enrich their pet at home versus what we need to be doing to enrich our lives to be able to produce that life balance. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, utilising the way that they we talk in the veterinary clinic to owners and then talking that talk to vets, nurses and, yeah, animal care workers.
0: That's, that's amazing. It, so what I'm hearing is that you're using analogies that they understand and, and it's making them think about this is what we're recommending and this is what we need to be doing for ourselves kind of thing.
1: Yeah, because we talk it every day. We talk nutrition with owners every day. We talk about how to enrich their their pets in their backyard or outside of their backyard or socialisation, how to reduce anxiety, how to reduce stress for the pet, but then we're not really implementing that ourselves yeah. as vet nurses or veterinarians. So I've started just using that, that language with them. Um, and I'm really hoping that that'll take off as well, because it's at their level.
0: Makes such sense. And once again, it's a great coaching approach is to use the language of the people you're speaking to, and also great for marketing. Yeah. yeah. Any challenges along the way so far, Beck?
1: Yeah, definitely. We know that People in this industry are extremely busy and they're trying to already juggle this life at work and then their home lives and a lot of them, are fam- you know, have families and they're trying to already juggle that and it's like, how do I fit in time to, to have a coach? So that is a big wall that I hit, you know, at the the start. And it's one that I'm going to keep on having to work through is, you know, um, talking to the staff about how to find time. You know, we know that that's a big component of coaching. How do we find time to go for our walk, do our exercise, stay healthy? So, um, yeah, that is definitely one of the initial big barriers I came up against is I don't have time for that, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting immediately that what comes to mind is motivational interviewing and saying what's the cost of not doing it, which I'm sure you're having those conversations.
1: Yeah, and even talking to managers and saying, well, um, what's the cost of you not implementing this into your workplace? Like how much are your staff worth, you know, and how much does it cost every time you have to rehire a staff member to put in that position? Mm. Um, You know, what does that take for your team to reset and become a strong team again, mm-hmm. and so I think they're key important um, components as well as the business side of supporting yeah. your team's well-being um, and having well-being programs in veterinary clinics. Yeah,
0: right. And so I'm hearing that you're understanding the needs of the, the person working in the industry, but also the pain points of the business, and yeah, what absolutely. you're doing can solve nice. both of those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because we know that there's there's so many vets and nurses leaving the industry at the moment. We just do not have enough to fill the places when someone leaves. So that's a massive burden on your staff that are already under pressure. Yeah. So they're already struggling this juggling act. And then a staff member leaves because of burnout or compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so then you're you're juggling it even more your staff are even more pressure so I think there's definitely two components of the person learning really good clear boundaries setting up a really healthy lifestyle for themselves in the industry mm-hmm. and then you've got the side of how do you have a proper well-being program placed into veterinary clinics to support your staff to continue that life balance
0: It's such an important conversation right now, particularly with legislation rolling out for workplaces around psychological first aid, psychosocial risk assessment, doubling of the fines for lack of duty of care. And I've had some conversations around that myself with people recently and they're like, oh, I don't want to touch that. But they're going to have to because there are going to be legal implications if they don't.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't matter how big or small your practice is, it is important to have things implemented for your staff, especially in a industry that does have forms of trauma involved in them Mm. um so and yeah compassion fatigue you know such compassionate people such loving and caring people we just you know want to work with animals you know you see people in this industry and they see a dog down the street that they know and their face lights up they might not remember the owner's name but they'll definitely remember the pet's name (laughs) that they see in the clinic and so they really do love what they do and that's I think really important that we have practices in place to support their mental health and well-being. Yeah, it's a very good point.
0: Um, one last question I have is just about your initial traction. How are you going in terms of securing clients and getting started with workshops? how How do you feel that's going?
1: Yeah, so I definitely know I'm very early in. I think two months out. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have an animal shelter that is all set to go for my well-being program, um, and I have some really amazing support in that area. Actually, previous manager from one of my um, previous. Uh, welfare shelters I worked in Mm -hmm. she's been really supporting me and making sure that I have really great connections for this as well because she's so supportive of it Um, but yeah I do have an animal shelter all set up ready to go so we're just finishing the component of putting together the um, the actual structure of it a hundred percent making it so it suits them mm-hmm. and then we're going for a grant to actually fund that for the shelter so we know that animal shelters don't have huge amount of money and they're running off yeah. um an oily rag um yeah. so that is that's going to be fantastic because I actually have a vet current vet clinic component connected to them as well so it'll be for all their staff the shelter staff as well as the vet clinic staff to be involved mm-hmm. um but yeah the vet clinics are still taking traction I'm, I'm working on some workshops at the moment actually a debriefing workshop mm-hmm. um, so after an event is doing debriefing coaching right okay and bringing the positives out from such a traumatic experience that we a lot of the time will look at what didn't go right, mm. so then forming what went right. And that's actually I've had a few vet clinics email me back saying they're really interested in that. So that's going to be an exciting workshop to do. Um, and I'm doing a workshop actually for the Chamber of Commerce, which is out of the veterinary area but yeah. still working in in that space of stress in the workplace and mm. um, looking at positive stress versus negative stress. Um, and that's a little bit more local for me and there's some great traction as well.
0: Yeah, I love what you're doing. It sounds like you've established a place that's totally supporting you and advocating for what you're doing and, and it will be funded and then through the other threads that you're following, there are opportunities to become really visible and it sounds like you're using networks that you have and including the Chamber of Commerce being basically a business network that you're going to get a lot of visibility. And I'm sure that once you get one or two case studies finished, you'll have something to really talk about in terms of the impact that compassion fatigue coaching can have.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I've done a lot of networking. You do have to put energy into that. Like, and sometimes you get, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, you know, I've done so much networking and not much coaching, but I know that that's leading to coaching. That's le- And you are coaching while you're networking because you use the coaching language. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I'm really... When we did the Passion to Profit course with you, you know, we got some worksheets and it's utilizing that coaching language while we're having conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I really utilize those even with phone calls. How is this? affecting you, you know, um, what are the implications? How confident are you that you want to make change? So, you know, I am using coaching through those, um, which is great because it's continuing those skills. But you do have to put energy into networking and finding those connections. Um, especially if you haven't been in that industry before. Um, I'm really lucky that I was in the animal welfare and animal veterinary clinic industry so i do have connections mm. um but still it's working on more connections and different ones that i didn't have
0: yeah it's all about finding the right people isn't it and it yeah. I know, you know in marketing people may be not ready to change not thinking about change maybe thinking about change preparing Or knowing there's a problem, they're saying we have to do something and it's sometimes not even just the right person but the right timing and finding people who are in that stage of readiness to change Yeah, and and something happens from
1: that. And I think also as a coach, sometimes you get really nervous. Like um, I reached out to the, the Australian Veterinary Association and I've got a meeting booked with them and before I sent that email to them, I was like so nervous of, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm sending it to them. Have I got all the right qualifications? Am I the right person for this? And so you're second questioning yourself, but then it's just like, no, I've got this, I've got the training, I've got the knowledge, this is a place that I want to be in, I'm going to send this email and and I got a great response back. So, you know, sometimes you do question yourself early in in the stages, but what's the harm sometimes in having a no? It just means that you change direction and find a different way or, yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well said, Bec. Yeah. Thanks so much for agreeing to be interviewed to talk about what you're doing at the moment. And two months out, you're already making a great impact and creating a ripple effect by the sound of things, starting an important conversation that's much needed and can make a real difference. So thanks for being here and for no, telling thank your you story. So
1: thank you so much for having me, Mel.
0: Great. Thanks. We'll see you again sometime. Keep us updated on what's happening.
1: Absolutely will do. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Bye. Bye.